0: Annyeonghaseyo! Welcome to Afternoon of Delight, where Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare wrecks for good measure, because why not ride the Hallyu wave all the way to shore? So grab some tech bokey and listen to your new favorite unis. Hey,
1: everybody. Hello. Hi there. So... I just want to point something out. First of all, I love this podcast and I love both of you guys, but you're stressing stressing me out and here's why. So doing a buddy watch of a K-drama used to be super fun for me until... Until I met two ladies of leisure. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding about that part, but it started with Healer. I thought I was fast in watching K-dramas, and then I buddy watched my first K-drama with Megan, and... I was always three to four episodes behind. We started at the same time and then something... No, I think I started before you even. I think and then, all, did. and then all of a sudden you were three to four episodes ahead of me and I could never catch up. Fine. It's fine. It's all good. So now I just started I'm Not a Robot and I'm super excited for that. We're going to deep dive that. I started it before Leah did. <laughs> I'm on... Megan had already watched it. So Megan's off the hook for this one okay. because Megan watched this one a couple weeks ago. Right. But I started it before Leah and I'm on episode eight. Leah, would you like to tell the listening public where you are? I'm on episode 22. And I
2: was thinking about this walking the dog this morning I'm like oh my god I've got to have such a mea culpa because you know it was either the <laughs> podcast before like where we were just giving Megan so much shit for like how fast she was watching podcasts but in full disclosure it's spring break for public school so my husband's taken our two daughters and hit the road on like this like awesome camping trip and off to visit my parents and I'm here with my son and he's into anime and he's in middle school and we're just like living our best frat boy life all of a sudden. But like Normally <laughs> normally I am not a day watcher. I have done some day watching and I am not proud to say that I was up until three in the morning last night because I couldn't freaking stop. And I had to like physically be like, no, seriously, this, like, I would be like one more, just one more. And then i like, it's oh.
1: 30 minutes and I get it. Like it's 30 minutes, but I, I feel like I've lost my late night stamina and I'm a night owl too. And for some reason, like I get in bed and, you know, my kids go to sleep. I have older kids than both of you. So I think that also makes it a little bit more difficult is that like I'm hanging out with my kids until like 10, 30 at night. So that's when I'm first sitting down, put my iPad on my lap and I'm like conking out 15 minutes into an episode. I'm like, what is the matter with me? Like I used to be better than this. Well, here's what, let me give you a a little tip.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I do something similar. I usually have some sort of response where I pass out within like an hour of watching a K-drama. I usually wake up an hour after that and then I get my second wind, and that's when I crank it for like three and a half hours. <laughs> when I rewind it back,
1: and I'm like, okay, let's. I've got. I've like taken the edge off my sleep, and like it's time to get in. I was gonna say if I did that, I would never go back to sleep. Then, and it, it, that's happened to me before, where I haven't been able to fall back asleep, and so I'll flip on a K drama. But then I, I could very well be up until five in the morning doing that, and then I usually get up at six forty five. Mm. So. I've never
0: been able to fall asleep with the TV on. So my best friend who I've like I roomed with in college, I've spent many hotel nights with her. She likes to fall asleep with the TV on. And it's always like that's like the one way we're not compatible is she always wants the TV on. And I'm like, no, because I can't fall asleep with like the flickering lights or even like a little bit of the like talking or whatever. So I just don't fall asleep watching things like very rarely. I have to be like completely wiped or something to do that. So my kids are my oldest kid is 10. So they go to bed. It's like 830. So I can start watching K-dramas at nine. I mean, you <laughs> I have an hour and a half on you, Amy. And and then, like, I'm up until super... with. And, and the thing is, I know what Leah was watching. Like, I know the trajectory of, of the arc. And, like, I get why she couldn't stop until 22. You know what I'm saying? Because that's the way I was. I remember I binged that entire section that she binged like i did the same thing and i even told her i said now you're gonna you need to block out time to binge until like at least episode 30 like i gave her tonight tonight's gonna be and here's the other thing with like no one around
2: except for my son and he has been such a good buddy in terms of like the fact that apparently i don't need to cook for him because he's okay foraging <laughs> with me. So I'm like, who just wants some yogurt out of the fridge? And like, I bought like some kale salad from the deli. So whatever. He's like not eating like garbage, but like, we're not cooking. I'm like, no, mommy's not doing dishes when no one's around except for you. And so I've been starting at like 6, 6.30 too. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, I wish, know.
1: I know, I know.
2: I'm like, let's yeah. grab our dinner. He's watching like my hero academia in the living room and I'm in the bedroom with the K Rama.
1: Yeah. Well, what
0: I've been rewatching is I'm not a robot. I've been almost like rewatching my favorite scenes, kind of like with Leah. And I even I watched a little bit last night and I started crying again. Like I just I I love that drama so much. I can't wait till we can talk about it.
1: I'm super excited and I'm super loving it, even though yeah. I'm only on episode eight, but I'm just I'm having huge FOMO right I now. I know because I can't talk about it with anybody because you guys are, you know, I obviously promise back and you're done. No, I promise
0: as whenever you wanna I will talk about I'm not a robot on my deathbed. Like you can, <laughs> I can honestly anytime you wanna talk, you can call me at two in the morning and I'll be like, You wanna talk about it? Okay <laughs> <laughs> but
2: today we're not talking about I am not a no. robot.
0: so Ooh, excellent right. segue, Leah. Excellent
1: segue. <laughs> not our question, we... but that <laughs> <Not> is <as> good <laughs> My as good wor- worst pun ever that became the best segue ever.
2: Okay. Well, I'm gonna just take it away then. We've got a full-time art curator who lives a secret life as a part-time fangirl. We have a gallery director who is also an artist with a serious case of painter's block. We have an adopted brother who secretly loves his adopted sister and takes the best sad shower in the history of K-drama. We have a sweet K-pop idol, throw in a caffeine allergy, mysterious paintings of soap bubbles, and perhaps the worst deus ex machina we've had in K-drama to date. And what do we have? Her private life a rom-com from 2019 starring Kim Jae-wook, Park Min-young, and An bo hyun The story is loosely based on the novel Nunafan.com by Kim song hyun published in 2007 that's also been made into a webtoon. The story has a different setup from the drama. In NunaFan.com, we have a 30-year-old heroine who's a huge fangirl of idol Min-jun from a band called Shooting Stars. She runs a famous Korean restaurant in Gangnam and is looking for a manager. She ends up hiring a hottie who looks like her idle thirst trap and is actually his older brother. Throughout the story, the heroine has two faces, one of the fangirl and one of the sophisticated boss of a fancy restaurant. So disclaimer alert, this is a deep dive into her private life and it's filled with spoilers. So please bear that in mind and proceed at your own risk. Okay, so what was the strongest emotion that you felt watching this drama and why?
0: This is going to be a theme <laughs> during this podcast, but <laughs> probably my strongest emotional reaction was lust for An Bohyun, Hyun, and I will not <laughs> apologize for it. His sad slow-mo shower scene lives in my head rent-free all the time, and I just fell in love with him. So I recently also watched Itawan Class, and he is, uh, I was talking to Amy a little bit before the podcast about this he is a completely different character in itawan class to the point where it's like transformative like he he doesn't even look like the same person and has nothing to do with like his hair it's like he changed everything about him to fit this new character like his facial expressions his posture and i just fell even deeper for him so yeah that was my biggest emotional <laughs> reaction
1: because <laughs> i'm obsessed with on An bo hyun and rightfully so this drama, I thought, was a total delight, but it didn't make me super emotional, which I think is okay sometimes. I do think my biggest heart palpitations came whenever Kim J. Wook, a.k.a. Ryan Gold, smiled, because that smile is everything. But I also had a bit of a visceral reaction, negatively speaking, to Park Min Young, a.k.a. Dokmi's past trauma revelation, because what?! I won't spoil it because it comes up later, but I'm glad this was revealed at the end or I might have had a piece out of this drama. Instead, I ended up truly loving it, but just very WTF for some stuff that happened in the end.
2: So I was charmed and I was so charmed that I didn't even mind the batshit black moment. You could (laughs) give me Kim J. Wook, aka Ryan Gold, navigating the ins and outs of online fangirl life any day of the week. Okay, so... We're going to dive in more, but first, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a single Afternoon of Delight episode. And while you're at it, would you please be so kind as to leave us a nice review or star rating? It's a quick and easy way to help us with discoverability. And while you're at it, make sure to follow us on Instagram at Afternoon Delight Podcast for all the show ratings that don't make it on the pod, book recs, behind-the-scenes fun, and generally shameless fangirling. And if you want to message us about anything
0: you heard on the show, email us at AfternoonAdelightPodcast at gmail.com. So, life cycle of a fangirl. Idea credited to Sarah Brown, who wrote an article called Stages of Fangirling for Medium. Stage one, the revelation. The moment when you discover X and are still unaware that this is a moment that will change your life. You're curious but not obsessed. There is still hope for you. Stage two, obsession. Shit gets real. You don't just like X. You can't get enough. You're online wrestling up for more info. You've fallen into the abyss of no return. Stage three, the Huntress. Now that you're obsessed, you need to know everything about X. You go from something like, I just want to know what shows they've been in, to following them on social media, to looking up every piece of information you can find on them. You find out who their family is, <laughs> who dated whom, and all the hot and old cold tea. Stage four, talk, talk, talk. It's not enough for just you to be obsessed with X. No, no, no. You have an obligation to drive your family and friends crazy about it. You actually create new friendships with fellow fangirls so you can share the squeals. Stage five, peak fandom. X is your life. Everything else is meaningless. Sleep, work, socializing with other humans. Those become the hobbies. You aren't in the abyss now. You are the abyss. <laughs> and, you are, and you are happy here. Go away. Let me remain. Stage six, the comedown. Life goes on. We're just not as interested. We're still a fan, but we've toned it down. There's the rest of the world. It's not just X. You're not over it, but you're not all in anymore. Stage seven, moving on. Oh, hello. You just discovered why. Buckle up, Buttercup.
1: You're about to repeat all the stages. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like we are dealing with this by creating a podcast because nobody else wants to listen to me talk about Lee Min Ho you know, day in and day out. So you all get to listen to me talk about him, hopefully very, very soon when we start talking about one of his dramas, which will be King, the Eternal Monarch. You're
0: right, because I tried to say something to my husband today. I was like, Amy and Lear are watching I Am Not a Robot, and it's like my favorite drama to date, and they're both really into it, and I'm really excited. And I like looked at him for like, I don't know, some sort of reaction, and he literally just stared at me, and then just went back to what he was doing.
1: Like, (laughs) he doesn't doesn't want to hear it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I tried to get my daughter on board and she just she wasn't digging it you know she's she's a twilight kid she's more into vampires and stuff right now and she's asked me like on more than one occasion she's like are you upset that I'm not like Leah's daughter and loving oh. all the dramas and stuff like that because I talk about it all the time. I'm like, no, honey, absolutely not. I'm like, you are entitled to your fandoms as I'm entitled to mine. Okay. For the record, there is a vampire
0: K drama that's like out right now. I think it, I, I will look it up and get back to everyone about it. But I saw a couple like stills from the first episode and it just looks insane and awesome. So awesome. Okay, so outside of K-drama, what's been a fangirl experience
1: for you? My kids and I share a love of superheroes, Marvel especially. We've seen every MCU movie together in the theater and have rewatched all of them at home as well. Thank you, Netflix, and after that, Disney+. Plus. So I think I've talked before about how K drama has basically ruined American television and cinema for me. And that is true, except for when we come to Marvel. So, three years ago, we went to our first couple of comic book conventions. And at one of them, it was Ace Comic Con at Navy Pier in Chicago. Marvel stars were going to be there doing panels and photo ops. Of course, you have to pay for the photo ops and they were not cheap. I'm embarrassed to say how much they were, so I won't. But I I will admit that my kids, who were like 11 and 8 at the time, they pitched in like holiday and birthday money that they had saved up. So they each donated some money because shit ain't cheap to do a photo op with the three of us, along with Chris Evans, and Tom Hiddleston, Captain America, and Loki, respectively. And when we were in line waiting, we decided who would stand where ahead of time. And because I paid double what my kids paid, I had no problem saying mama gets to stand between Chris and Tommy. you guys can stand on the ends. And folks, I have photographic evidence that this happened. But I have zero recollection of the seven seconds that I was touching both Chris Evans and Tom Hiddleston. My daughter, who was like 11 or 12 at the time, was the only one brave enough to speak and to say to both of them, we love you guys so much. And Chris Evans put his hand on his chest and said, oh, thank you. And basically, my daughter's now my hero. The end. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) I love that can we put like we
2: can like uh cover up your kids faces but can we get that photo on the pod oh for sure uh, or on yeah. instagram
1: <laughs> oh they don't i mean it's public on my instagram okay. so okay. yeah it's i'm i'm all over it yeah, yeah. let's do that when yeah. i shared it I, and you guys probably remember when i shared it on social media i got so many comments from people saying amy i have never seen you smile that day <laughs> ever in my life and i don't think i ever have since so Yeah. Yeah. Shameless fangirl. So I don't have any
2: direct fangirl experiences in person. And honestly, I'm not sure that I would even want to because I am so awkward in person when I'm like, like, I don't know. I just I have a really, really hard time. Like, I cringe myself out. So I don't know if I could handle it, honestly. But I was thinking about like, what is a fangirl obsession that I've had like really hard? And I came up with one It's a weird one, but this is like a legit, like I've been in this rabbit hole since I was 13 (laughs) and I'm still not out of it yet. And that is that I think I'm the number one Uncas fan from the movie Last of the Mohicans. So have either of you seen Last of the Mohicans?
0: Yes. And I know this about you. Like, this is, this is like, I think of you and I think of Last of the Mohicans because you talk, I mean, and I say this with love, you talk about it all the time.
2: And I, and I don't even think it's like, I don't even particularly like I've grown out of the movie, not the movie score, but the movie itself, like, you know, it's not Daniel Day-Lewis's best work, but you know, I am there still for Uncas. So the movie came out when I was in middle school. And I was all in and like all in on the second male lead. So I guess I've been like a second male lead (laughs) fan from the beginning of like puberty. So this character gets very little screen time and his romantic arc consists of one sun dappled longing look by a waterfall and then grabbing his love interest at another time to pull her to safety. Then they both get murdered in a horrifying way (laughs) that wrecked me for my entire teen years and honestly to this day. But if you go back to like my seventh grade diary, I have entries and entries and entries simply devoted to Uncas. I wrote fanfic about him and myself before I knew that there was like even anything like a fanfic situation that could like happen in the world. I don't know. This character's just always been it for me. (laughs) And so... I would meet this guy I don't know where he is or what he's doing anymore but I'm all in and I mean like no honestly I don't want to like I'm not even into like the person like I'm just into the character
1: I get it so the person would be a huge disappointment because they're not again, I mean not, a not disappointment. Actually like
2: this. thank you and I'm sure he's like a wonderful human like I don't want to be like oh no I mean like thank you I guess I would be like you have played a pivotal role in my entire life
1: but it's the character for me So if I'm going to post my, and talk about awkward, like nobody was more awkward than me, like standing next to Chris Evans and Tom Hiddleston. But if I'm going to post my awkward, like goofiest, gooberiest smile, do we get to post your fanfic? (laughs) I can find, I will dig out
2: some diaries and I will post an entry. Yes. I would love to see
0: this. Okay. It's all my real. diaries from when I was a kid are just like pictures of horses because I was like a horse girl. Oh, God. <laughs> I was one of those. <laughs> the worst, right? We all knew horse girls. Anyway, so I'm, I'm going to relate this back to romance books because I have a couple of fangirl moments, but I think I'm going to talk about this one. So I'm a huge fan of Kristen Ashley, and I've mentioned her books on this podcast before. And I'm kind of like this when I read romance. I really, as much as I love tropes and things, if I find an author that works for me, I read like everything they write. And so Chris and Ashley is one of those authors. She has a very unique way of writing that doesn't work for everyone, but for some reason it totally works for me. And I actually, well, now I'm making it public, but I sometimes call my daughter my Chris and Ashley baby because I hadn't intended, we hadn't intended to uh, have our second baby that fast, but I was reading a lot of Chris and Ashley at the time and they're just really hot books. And (laughs) honestly just I mean honestly I read a book and I was like let's let's go and I got pregnant so anyway (laughs) so I was at a writing conference actually and I was walking with Amy I was with you I was like I
1: remember this I was with you
0: your favorite podcast host and we were just walking and talking and I mean this was like this was in 2013 2014
1: 2014 it was our first one this was this was NOLA right that's it that's it New Orleans where I was sick The, let's not even talk about the plague that Megan... I mean, I know I know there's a pandemic going on right now, but you don't know what Megan had while I was staying in a hotel room. I was like patient zero. Oh, God, New Orleans tried to kill me. Anyway,
0: we're going off topic. So we were walking in the hotel and Chris and Ashley walked past. And I'm a pretty outgoing person. Like, I'm the extrovert of the podcast. And I, for the first time in my life, like, completely froze. Like, I saw her... She looks exactly like her pictures. She's very tall, has this like a huge, like gorgeous head of hair. And I just froze up. And I was like, oh my, and I remember I was like, Amy, oh my God, oh my God, Amy, it's Chris and Ashley. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And I, and 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 she walked past and I was still like completely frozen. And I was like, I can't, I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't meet her. And Amy was like, Amy encouraged me, like if it wasn't for Amy, this wouldn't have happened because Amy was like, you're going to regret it. If you don't go and at least just introduce yourself and tell her you're a fan, you're going to regret it. And so I like gathered my cojones and I walked up to Chris and Ashley and I was just like, hey, and I, I don't even know what I said. Like, seriously, I rambled. I might have told her about my daughter. I think I did, which is really embarrassing. Like <laughs> you know. I told her how much I love her books, and I told her that she encouraged me to get published. Because actually, when I met her was in May, and my very first book was coming out with Avon that June. And so I said to her like, "Thank you, because you encouraged me to write and encouraged me to write romance." And she was like so gracious. Because I remember she was like, she wanted to talk about me. She was like, "Oh, what's your book about?" And like she was, she was like, "Congratulations!" And you know, this woman has like. 50 million books out and she was just like that's great for you like you know what I mean she was like genuinely enthusiastic and she was just an utter sweetheart it was a it was a great experience because I know there's a lot of times where you meet kind of your idols and it's not so great and maybe that was part of where my hesitation came from like what if she's like a dick you know Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Which, which, which happens yeah yeah
0: which totally happens but she wasn't she was extremely gracious awesome we took a picture and so I I have that picture somewhere, by the way. But yeah, it was so it was a it was a really great experience and a really true fangirl moment where I that's that's what I was I was a bumbling giggling fangirl.
1: Oh, and I got to be part of it. And what's what I think yeah. is awesome is I remembered the experience like generally, but obviously you remember all of the details because of how much is meant to you. Like, and just to let everybody know, like I had just met Megan on this trip, so I didn't know her <laughs> very I didn't know her very well. But knowing her now and how I mean, Megan will talk to anyone so the fact that you were hesitant at all like is super shocking to me but then that just goes to show like what a true fangirl you were it's true because i
0: talked to almost everyone else like we met i was like like happy to happy to meet them but when it came to her i just didn't even know and again i could only hear out of like one ear because i had like
1: an ear infection (laughs) she had an ear infection she had pink eye she had did you also have strep or was no, it like I a sinus, sinus, sinus infection? infection. A yeah. double
0: ear infection and an eye infection. But when I got home, my husband wouldn't even let me in the house. And so- this is
1: like, so there's three of us staying in a hotel room together. And we are just like, the bed's yours, Megan. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's get, what, a, get away from me. Get a good night's sleep. We're going
0: to sleep on the cots over here. And I woke up on the last day. I woke up on the last day and I... My eyes were literally stuck to my pillow, like like <laughs> I, I like my eyes were secreting pus. Like
2: okay, 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 okay.
0: <laughs> it, yeah,
1: I'll edit the pus. I'll edit the pus out. Well, wait, just, wait, no, no, the- no. I
2: think Megan gets to be shamed for
1: her growth. <laughs> so if you came here expecting a pus-free podcast, <laughs> too bad. So sad. I'm so sorry. <laughs> But you guys, no, I was, was there. More, was I was more. there. So nothing was worse than being there for it or being Megan for it, I should say. Yeah, anyway, no. I had to fly like that. I had to fly with a double ear infection.
0: I wanted to jump out of the airplane.
2: Oh, that sounds so painful and so disgusting.
0: So inside of K Drama, what's been your biggest fangirl moment?
1: I guess my biggest, because I feel like my whole K Drama life is a fangirl moment, but I guess my biggest fangirl moment. As I've brought up numerous times, is watching three of Lehman Ho dramas back to back in less than two weeks. I have mentioned this before, right? I think I might have. <laughs> um, I yeah, and I don't regret a second of it and would have done more except that you know, that was back when buddy watching was fun and yeah. this was, <laughs> this was before we brought Megan on board and Megan. <laughs> And Lee and I were watching dramas together at a respectable pace. Now yeah. I think like Megan has just sort of upped the ante and it's it's all a big competition. No, I'm just I'm I'm messing with you guys, but really okay. FOMO, big time FOMO. But yeah, it's Lehman Ho three back to back. Amy
2: and don't forget buying your DVDs.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh, I forgot that I bought City Hunter DVD. So I have more Lehman Ho to go because City Hunter does not exist in our region on Vicky, so I do have the City Hunter DVDs, which in hindsight, I maybe should have watched before watching Uncontrollably Fond because... I'm still bereft after having finished Uncontrollably Fond. <laughs> so for me, look, I don't think I've done anything too outrageous, but
2: I will say that I've watched episodes of Wook Talk, Lee Dong Wook's talk show, where he does back-to-back interviews with Gong Yu, And I've watched the Coffee Prince retrospective because of Gong Yu. So, I mean, that's my wildly crazy, like...
1: I did I, those too. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I know what I'm saying. I'm not trying... I mean, I, I when I went back, I'm
1: like, I guess I'm fairly tame. Like, sometimes I look at pictures on Instagram <laughs> <laughs> I do like I do think I have some obsessive fangirl tendencies and I'm I'm owning that I'm owning it
0: yeah I think I do too I mean I think my biggest thing was becoming really obsessed with Lee Dong Wook to I actually haven't seen Wook talk but I've I went and I watched like Tons of different variety shows that he's done. I did the same thing with Ji Chang-wook. I went and watched a lot of the variety shows he's done because Korea just has like the weirdest. Well, I shouldn't say they're weird. Like for me, they're very unique. Okay. Because they're very different from American reality shows. And the thing with Lee Dong Wook is I just became, like, I had to see him, well, started with Goblin, him as Grim Reaper, and I just, I felt like I could not live on without seeing him get a proper HEA. I mean, I couldn't, so after we I watched Goblin, I went right to Touch Your Heart, because I was like, if I don't get an HEA for Lee Dong Wook, I'm gonna, like, lose my mind. And I just, I couldn't get enough of him, but it was more, I just, I really liked his acting, like, I wanted to watch all the dramas he was in. So I would say that's kind of where I went a little off the rails, but now I'm starting to like fall for Anbo (laughs) Hyun's.
1: Watch out, buddy. I think you'd really like Wook Talk. Like he's super charming as a talk show host. Like I, I totally was not expecting that, and he he really truly was. Do you not feel like he got a happy ending in Goblin? Because I totally feel like he did. I did, but I needed it. Like I just needed. I did. I agree with you,
0: but I felt like I needed. I needed like a lot more.
1: Like you needed to- him to have a whole whole big
0: like romance. Right. Like thing. for for the show of Goblin, I liked how it ended but yeah. i need i knew i needed him even as like a separate character to have like a whole drama where he was like the one you know what i mean and that i got it yeah totally. so that's why touch your heart like and i think that's one of the reasons i love touch your heart so much and i can like i really think it was because i watched it coming right off goblin and it was just like everything like you know what i mean cuz it like fulfilled that for me
1: you know what i mean well and that's that that's 100% why i bought the dvds for uncontrollably fun because i needed to see kim ubin as a romantic hero i did not know i was going to see him as a romantic hero who's terminally ill so never hashtag never ever
0: ever over it (laughs) so how did you feel fangirling was presented in her private life
1: So I wasn't sure how realistic it was when I first saw the drama, but now that I've read more about fandoms and seen more dramas where this has been portrayed, including Uncontrollably Fond, because Kim Woo-bin is a famous actor in a famous K-drama actor in that and the fandom thing was real it rang true and i think that sometimes fans can veer off into an unhealthy fandom like stalkerdom and, and wishing harm on anyone that their idol likes which i you know which we saw in her private life and i saw that in uncontrollably fond but i don't think that Dokmi's fandom was anything like that. I think her fandom was absolutely adorable. And my only, and I wouldn't even call it a bad feeling, but my regret for her fandom is that she didn't ever come clean to Xian that she was his super fan because he actually missed her presence when she kind of faded away. So
2: yeah, I like fanning out, but I think for me personally, I like to fan out on like content and like, I'm very like, apparently private in my fanning and I do it in my mind. So I don't have like, I don't actually comprehend, like, sending strangers gifts or, like, going to see them walk through the airport. That's not to say I didn't have fun watching, like, Me want to get, like, a painting for her, like, Xi'an or go to the airport. But, like, for me, that's I just, I would never do that because it's just not how I, like fan. And I also just think it would be so hard to be somebody like living their life in a fishbowl like that. And so it makes me weirdly sorry for celebrities, even though like there's not much to be sorry for a celebrity. (laughs) Like, I don't know. I feel sorry about that aspect. And like, there's a lot to be said for anonymity.
0: Yeah, I think I feel the same way. Like I am not like an active fangirl. I don't know. And in my limited time, I mean, in my limited time that I'm an author in public, like meaning when I go to signings or something like that, I know how exhausting it is to be on for like hours on end. And so maybe that's why sometimes I watch these celebrities or K-pop idols and I just want to like give them a hug and like a nap because I can't imagine doing this day in and day out. I don't know. I can't imagine. But I guess I thought the fangirling seemed pretty realistic, you know, because of my limited K-pop experiences. There's some definite negatives and stalker behavior. I mean, what I find, too, is there's like like fan war- wars, which is always really shocking to me that there's like, yeah, that's you odd. like actively want to like hate on another group like that will never compute to me ever i i don't get that like i think if you want to be a fan of your group of your group like that's great like stream their videos and stuff like that but i don't understand like the active negativity but then there're also i i did like i felt like duck me in her portrayal of her being a fangirl i thought she was respectful like i thought she really did truly want the best for her idol which and it felt like kind of a pure way so i didn't mind it as much i think that they did then show some toxic behavior that seems pretty realistic
1: yeah and the toxic behavior wasn't hers it was people against her which right yeah yeah, and like I said this is the first thing I ever saw with fandoms in it and so that did shock me when I like she was literally attacked outside her place of work and that was shocking to me but then the more like I said the more that I've been sort of reading about it and seeing it portrayed in other dramas it's I, I guess it's pretty true to form which is a little shocking
0: so did her private life feel unique to South Korea or could the story of this film have taken place in another country or setting?
1: I feel like I'm too disconnected from this type of behavior in general like in fandoms like you know I told you that like, we went to a comic book convention because I you know I am a super fan, but even at like a convention like this and I asked my kids and I also we've been to a few. We also went to StrangerCon where we got to see some of the Stranger Things actors, but everyone seemed really well behaved at these situations and, and again they weren't portraying conventions so much in her private life as they were just sort of like public sightings of their idols. But I just have never been a part of it. So I can't I can't say how similar stuff happens here if it does or it doesn't. This isn't to say that there aren't stalker-like fans in the U.S. I'm sure that there are, but because I don't have any experience with it, and we're a much bigger country, so we're much more spread out, and I feel like things like this aren't as I don't know, I feel like it's not as noticeable to me, but again, I'm not stalking American actors on social media as much as I am. Korean one. So I am doing my part in, in my fandom. But I, I think I'm doing it from a safe distance. And I feel like that's all I know of the US is doing it from a safe distance. Well, I
2: certainly do think that like, we have our share of like, cuckoo folks, like, you know, chasing around people. But like you said, like, that's just not something I'm really like paying attention to. But here in the West, I think it feels super common for, you know, celebrities in our culture to date openly to change partners all the time. We have like, a whole slew of problematic gossip mags and, like, professional paparazzi that basically, like, fuel all of that fire. But I think something that's, like, troubling for me when it comes to like looking at Korean entertainment as an outsider is how idols are marketed and I actually mean like marketed like a commodity so not just as somebody who is like talented and attractive but also like kind of single and available and this like opa that fans can look to as their ideal boyfriend so I'm all about that thirsting life like that is totally fine in my book and I love fandoms but you know to get real like nobody's gonna get a real happy ever after with their idol. And so I feel like sometimes like constructing these elaborate realities to play into those fantasies where you have like, you know, prohibitions on like public relationships or like no dating policies. That just feels really, really yucky and problematic to me. And also to see how young some of these fans are and like the fact that they're kind of like wading into social media, like at such a young age where they have like not developed critical thought. And it's like a very toxic online environment sometimes like none of that feels healthy or desirable for me. So I have a tween K-pop fan and in our house, she can watch music videos of like, you know, the folks she likes. She can listen to the music as much as she wants. She can squeal over the clips of her favorite opas on variety shows. That's all fine. She wears her Stray Kids shirt with pride. But that's it. Like, she's not allowed to go into, like, chat spaces and, like, enter that dark side. Because I just don't think it's a healthy place. So I thought the vibe of her private life was really light and sweet. And it very much glossed over the vibe of, like, the Seisang fans, like, that are, like, much more of, like, those stalker type fans. And they really didn't get into, like, how messed up things actually get. So the character of Cindy is initially shown as, like, a person who's willing to cross personal boundaries and, like, violate privacy in like her fandom madness, but this wasn't the kind of show where we're going to see fans who are doing things like carving celebrity names in their bodies or breaking into their homes or sending them weird shit in the mail, which is all stuff that happens. And something that I learned while like kind of reading up for this drama is that there's not a lot of legal protection in South Korea for celebrities in terms of stalking. Like, you know, we don't have perfect stalking laws by any stretch in this country, but we have better laws than they do. So right now, stalking's considered a misdemeanor in South Korea. And it's punished only with a fine not exceeding 100,000 won, which is 90 bucks. So much stricter laws are currently being considered like now in the present time, but they're not there yet and they don't have them in place yet. So I don't know that to me just like kind of jumped out as like there is a dark side to fanning.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously we have stalking issues and weird uh, gossip rags that attack celebrities in the United States, but I think it's the atmosphere and the conservative nature of South Korea that made her private life different and also does make the whole situation with idols there different like they have they very much have to they're trained for years to have a certain like there's certain expectations they're not supposed to they obviously can like cannot swear you know cursing is very much not allowed they have to be careful what music they listen to like in the backgrounds of their lives there's a lot of pressure on them to be this like perfect idol and like leah said to be like single and available a lot of the Idol companies have dating bans. I think that that's going the way of history a little bit, but like Stray Kids, I think, like have had a dating ban almost this entire time that they've debuted, which is like crazy to me. <laughs> like like I can't imagine, I don't know, like can you imagine if they're like Justin Bieber <laughs> dating ban, like I don't you know what I mean? It's very unique. And, you know, every time they go on the variety shows, they're like, almost all the questions they're asked is, what's your ideal type? That's like a very, very common question. They have a rote response at this point. Like, they're just like, oh, I like her personality or something. You know what I mean? But I can't, they're asked that like, every time and there's been a lot of like reports of like sasangs that are like outside their dorms and like some idols have even complained on like their social media like one of the stray kids actually just came out and was like this is so invasive that they like they're outside our dorms they're invading our private lives and that kind of thing so i don't know i just don't i mean i do think especially with the whole britney spears experience and with the documentary that came out i think and I hope that there's been a little bit of a come to Jesus in American media and the the gossip blogs and, and, you know, those influencers on how we treat these celebrities. And I I mean, I hope there is. And I hope that happens in South Korea, too. So yeah, that was a long explanation. But I just felt like all those things were going through my head as I was watching the show.
2: Yeah, thanks for bringing up the Britney Spears thing, because I think that was topical, like lately, especially with that documentary coming out. And honestly, I don't think that we learn lessons. I think it's a money business to like some degree in the U.S., like when I was watching her private life, I was noticing like a lot of it was like private, like amateur fandom. And I mean, this is a mo- like, this is a show, right? This isn't real life. What they were projecting is like they're paparazzi, essentially. A lot of them look like just like, you know, private citizens. Whereas I feel like here, you know, this is like very much a profession. And I'm look, I'm sure there is there. I don't know much about like paparazzi culture in Korea either. But just in like the aspects of the show, I feel like for us. Yeah, we have professional people that make stupid money getting photos, and it's gross.
0: <laughs> yeah, the Britney Spears thing is interesting too, because I know like Perez Hilton, he was like really had a really popular blog back during like the heyday of when Britney Spears kind of had her slight like fall, I guess, from startup. Well, she, she had a mental breakdown she in public. And it was terrible. And he really attacked her. And because he was getting, you know, a million hits on his blog. And when Free Britney came out, he's still like active. He has like a podcast now and stuff. And he's come out repeatedly and said that he regrets everything he did. And I don't think that makes up for what he did. But I do appreciate that he's like, yeah, I was a shit. I was a total shit on how I treated her and how I didn't respect her mental health and things like that. So I hope that people care. But especially at the documentary but who knows
2: yeah it's not me to give forgiveness for people but people who are actively profiting off of other people's hardships is just never right never gonna ring well but anyway let's move on to this happy topic which is the show which is i'm so so sorry (laughs) we got dark (laughs) this is now time for our favorite segment of the week our K recommendation
0: and this week we have megan with a k-pop rec So this week I'm going to recommend I'm the One by ATs. So I, this is kind of like a new group that I've been listening to. I, I said to like Lee and Amy that they're still babies. Like they're still like early 20s, but the way they carry themselves and the way they sing, I don't know if it's the type of songs that they're given in the choreography. It feels like a little bit more mature and sexy. And so, I'm the One is just a really powerful song. The dancing is insane. Like, I watch it and I think, how in the world can they do this, like, repeatedly over several days? Because it's just so, it looks so physically demanding. And the one dancer, son wears, like, a crop top and almost... <laughs> every live show. And of course, he looks amazing. And I just really love the song. And I really have been starting to get into more of their songs and find that I like them too. And I think they're right now they're on the reality show Kingdom with a bunch of other K-pop boy groups. So yeah, it's ATEEZ. I'm the one.
1: Check it out. So let's talk about the lead romance between Ryan Gold and Duck Me. What was a hit or miss for you with the character of Ryan Gold and actor Kim J. Wook's performance?
0: So this is where I differed with Amy and Leah. And I think I need to say, first of all, this was my first introduction to Kim J. Wook. So I did not see him in Coffee Prince, which I know is where Amy and Leah like totally fell in love with him. And I kind of now wish that I did see that first because I just didn't, I never really warmed to him. I thought his performance was great and I liked him. I just, I I don't know what it was. I think too, like I swear to God, I don't think I saw him smile until like episode three or something ridiculous. And then I was like, oh, oh gosh, like be still my heart. He smiled. And that's when I was like starting to like get into it a little bit more. But I don't know. He had a lot of emotional boo-boos. And normally that's totally my kryptonite. But his emotional boo-boos just made me feel really sad. And not in like a hot wounded hero way, but in like... <laughs> <laughs> like like just a really sad, lonely guy way, you know? And it just, I don't know. There was just something missing for me. And I don't necessarily think it was Kim J. Wook. And it might've been because I rooted for the second male lead the whole time. <laughs> I'll say that. Yeah, correctly. it could be that. That could be why. So look,
2: for, as a character, I was all in on Ryan Gold. I do like a stiff buttoned up hero, but Megan, I know you do too. And that process of like watching him slowly become like wrecked over his lady but I think like there were just such fun choices I thought that the show made with Ryan Gold, and so I think my favorite by far though is the moment when he decides that he wants to learn how to be a fanboy. So Jack Me has discovered that he is Latte, his secret online I mean alter ego, I which was love that so much. I,
0: I did love that. Yeah, I, I love mean that so
2: much. it was amazing. And so essentially, like there's like a convention in the drama where he creates like an alter ego to like enter her online fandom and try to figure out kind kind of like what it's all about cuz he's like falling for her and like wants to like see this like secret world she's in but it doesn't feel stalker and icky it feels like he's coming from a place of true curiosity and openness so anyway she discovers he's latte and she's kind of laughing about it because she's embarrassed but she's also like horrified that this has happened and she's chasing him around his apartment like what did you learn what were you, what did you see on there and he is kind of teasing like not mean spiritly but he has some things like Sion's thighs are your welfare is like apparently something <laughs> she had posted and like his clavicle is so sexy and like you know with that sister I could feel like you know I've had that thirst so I got that and so I felt like that whole moment though could have been written and played really mean and mocking and kind of like that patriarchal vibe you know of like what women like is like dumb but I thought that it was awesome because he like truly wanted to learn more about the fandoms because it made her so happy. And he wants to, like, connect more on the things that make his woman happy. And so that, ladies and gentlemen, to me, is why the character of Ryan Gold is just such an absolute delight.
0: I just want to say I agree. And I did love that entire storyline. I loved how he just wanted to learn what made her interested. And he was never condescending about it, ever.
1: I loved that she was worried about anybody knowing that she was this super fan. And his first reaction when he finds out about it is that he thinks it's absolutely adorable and wants to know more. And so that could not have made me happier. But yeah, I feel like, you know, Megan brought it up. And I feel like it's true that maybe I did have a bit of a halo effect going for him, having seen him in Coffee Prince, because I absolutely adored him in Coffee Prince. But I don't know that when he just started genuinely liking Duck Me, which... Came, you know, the second that he smiled at her, I, I loved it. I think it even came before that. I mean, when when she poisoned him with caffeine, and he grabs her hand, you know, in the hospital, because somebody is always grabbing somebody's hand at the side of a bed in the hospital. That did it for me. Like I was a goner from then out. And yeah, I adored Ryan Gold. And
2: I think there's like that fantasy element. Like, so at the beginning, Megan, like you were saying, you started talking about K-drama and like your husband checks out. Like, I don't even bother talking about K-drama to my husband because he would just be like, no, just no. So here's this fantasy of like this dude that's like, I want to hear all about it. Tell me. And I'm like, you know what? That's like vacuuming for a man. Like, I'm like, oh, you want to hear me talk about the
1: stuff I'm into? Like, that is hot agreed so what was a hit or miss for you with the character of doke me and actor park min young's performance
0: I adore her like I don't everything I've seen her in she's just so freaking cute and so personable and I did kind of like that at the beginning she could be like I like that she kind of had this duality of being really professional and even a little like buttoned up at work and then all of a sudden she'd like she, she was like healer and changed into her fangirl outfit <laughs> and she was like still focused but in a different way and i did really like the duality of it her apartment was like crazy cute with all her shian stuff and i loved her i'm sorry i'm gonna keep bringing them up i loved her banter with her adopted brother ungi i just thought they had just adorable conversations and dialogue especially like when he came in and he like karate chopped well, not karate chopped, but he taekwondoed, judo judo was he judo okay he judoed the uh the cardboard knocked his head off the cardboard Yeah. It was just, anyway, That okay, I'm sorry, I'm talking about you again.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but I do love, like, this hits me differently thinking about this now after watching Healer, which I watched after her private life, which is, like, I wonder if there was, like, an intentional costume nod to her, like, fangirl outfit, because it was pure Healer. <laughs> so that's oh, really, yeah. yeah that's fun if that's a thing because i i'm gonna say it is because it is <laughs> but yeah parkman young is always a hit for me she has that quality of being so cute that you believe any love interest would do anything to get her but she's also so fun that I feel like anyone would like to like hang out with her and be her best friend she just has like so much charisma and she also has great comic timing like there's the scene where she's at the white ocean concert and she like throws the water bottle into the crowd and she executes this giant leap and there's like way and Like, okay, chorale music playing as she like flies over like Cindy, like the sassang fan and nabs this water bottle and her face is just so like she's got such a funny face when she wants to like just like ham it up a bit. But then I also like that the heroine was written to be a curator. So in her role, she has a keen eye. She's basically like a professional noticer. And I thought that this really was executed nicely when they go to try to get photographs for an art exhibit. And she's able to have a quick read of the situation and realize that what they've walked into and what they're asking for is a photographic record of two men who'd had like a long-term love. And I just felt like that moment was also handled with a lot of respect and tact. And so I really appreciated like the writing in that moment as well for that scene.
1: Yeah, I don't think there's much more that I can say other than I 100% agree with both of you that I don't think it's possible not to love Parkman Young. I mean, I, I challenge you, Drama Land, to find me a role where I won't adore her because everything I've seen her in so far, she's been an absolute delight, has incredible range, emotionally speaking and comedically speaking. I still don't buy her childhood trauma that we'll get into, but she leaned into the part, that part of the script and gave it her all. And I bought her reaction to it, even if I thought it was a little bit bad shit. The show gets lauded for the lead's chemistry, but anecdotally, we know viewers that this romance really didn't work for. Where did you land? leading question
0: <laughs> i know so th- again this is where i differ from amy and leah so their chemistry didn't really work for me and that's where like the show fell kind of flat and i don't really know why it didn't work for me like even the scene where like she brings him into her apartment but she doesn't want him to see all her like she paraphernalia so she blindfolds him and they're on the
1: couch it's another how he- do you it's not or nod. it's a healer how do you not it is a healer you- not it is a healer nod. oh my gosh now I we would know
0: i say that's the only scene where I really kind of like got it a little bit, but I still didn't feel any real, uh, maybe, I, maybe I was looking for banter and maybe that's what I needed. I, I, I guess even by the end, I wasn't sure if they really still they like never felt super comfortable with each other. I don't know. And maybe it was because both of them were just a little bit more like buttoned up people. So I, I just didn't feel, I don't know. And, and I don't know. And again, it might it probably was because i had severe second male lead syndrome and that's probably what like really fucked me up with this drama is that i just wanted to win her in his little suit and he did not and you know it's ryan gold's fault he came (laughs) along and messed it up so i feel like this is one of
2: those like did we watch the same drama so for me, there was so much great chemistry. I thought it had like a good enemies to lovers setup. Then they had like a fake relationship to boot. So like hello to like all the tropes like that I like together. And they had like that fake relationship photo shoot where, you know, they get all up in each other's biz. And it's really I thought it was sizzling actually to sound like a I don't even know like who uses the word <laughs> Sound sizzling. like a romance blurb. <laughs> yeah, I do you know then they had that kiss in the wood shop that was really hot and then their last kiss where they like go back to where they'd had their fake relationship shot but like this time like they get it like in that like concrete bunker alley thing so it was just like cotton candy happiness on a stick to me and I honestly felt like their chemistry was so good that I was like look they're probably just getting it in real life too because like they're feeling it so it's funny that like I can't I really thought that they had good chemistry
1: and I did too I thought it was off the charts and I can't like I, I it does not compute to me Megan that you did not love the blindfolded dream kiss that first of all Leah watched this drama before me, and she told me that the first kiss isn't really the first kiss, that it's like a dream sequence, but it makes the first kiss even so much better. And then I forgot all that. And then we got to the blindfolded part in the house and the kiss, and then you find out that it's all in her head. And that totally wrecked me, like in the best way. And I texted Leah. I was like, oh, my gosh, I forgot about, you know, that this wasn't a real kiss. And it was an amazing, that real kiss. And I don't know, maybe it does stem from me loving both of them separately as actors, but I don't think that you can fake chemistry. And I don't think that chemistry has a halo effect because I'll say it like I Lehman Ho is my true bae, but I did not think that he had chemistry in personal taste. And that's a story for another day. You know, I'm not afraid to say that when I don't think a, an actor that I like has chemistry with the lead But I think that these two totally clicked. I think that it was a very sexy show and it was because they both brought it. And I just want to go back really
2: quickly and touch on that, like the dream kiss, because as like a romance writer too, I think I had this like good, like craft aha moment of like, you know, as romance writers, like a first kiss is a big deal, just like it is in K-drama. But I loved like the dream kiss gave us permission to like have all like the like First kiss, but it was like early on. And then we get like the payoff of like the emotional real kiss later. And so I kind of just like that. Like, I'm definitely like, if you see that in one of my books at some point, like I took it from her private life because I just thought it was like fun that like you got to have that little bit of like sexy, interesting, like whatever early, but like the show doesn't have to go there yet or the book doesn't have to go there yet. It can like go back and like still have that build up.
1: Okay. So pretend like it is not me. Asking this question, because I'm going to talk about myself in the third person. Question for all of us. Megan, do you have anything to say about the Black Moment flashback reveal? Teacher Amy, do you feel like the backstory reveal was a deus ex machina? Leah, did you cry over the bubble painting?
0: Okay, so I really got to talk about this. (laughs) I hated the Black Moment flashback reveal so much. I went on Slack and I ranted to you guys for like a while I think it was a good five minutes I was just typing in all caps and you guys were ignoring me no, I we want weren't to say did. we weren't ignoring you
2: we were
1: just- we weren't
0: there. There when <laughs> you did it you know, I know I was just saying that for like effect. I know you guys have fun <laughs> but no one was responding to me and it was just me ranting to myself about this horrible flashback reveal and so already I was like I mean I liked the drama I liked it like I I, I, I didn't dislike it but I wasn't like oh my God, five out of five. And then this came along and I was like, I'm so pissed that you guys (laughs) didn't warn me. So, I mean, spoilers, but basically you find out, how do I even, how do I even start? We knew all along that Ryan Gold had been abandoned as a child and then he was adopted by like American parents or he lived in America for a while before he came back to Korea. But you then find out that Actually, he was abandoned at a park, and duck me's mom actually, or he he was playing with. He wasn't even abandoned. He else? was left to play in a park,
2: and his mom got hit by a truck, bled
0: a lot out of her head, and then was
2: in a coma for a lot <laughs> right. like month.
0: A coma for like a month. Okay, so she never could come back to get her kid, and apparently, like she hadn't like told anyone, like no friends, like and who, she had a leaves, child. Yeah, yeah. Who leaves their kid at a park? Whatever. And uh, so he was playing at the park with, happened to be playing with Duck Me and Ungi. And when Duck Me's mom came to get them, Ryan Gold, as a child, was just still there. So she took him home and kept him for a month, which was <laughs> absolutely bananas that she didn't, like, at that point, take him to, like, a police station or I, I don't know. Like, there was, no, like, why would you just keep him like a like a puppy? And then, and then, when I went full bananas was when... You find out that the reason Duckme's mom just randomly dropped him off at an orphanage in the middle of the night, it was dark outside, was because her son, Duckme's brother, had died. So she was like out of her head with grief, apparently. But there was zero foreshadowing. And and also Duck Me like didn't remember like she just conveniently just forgot she had a brother she repressed like, she was in car oh, right. accident look I'm not justifying oh, I'm not justifying no,
2: but I'm saying no, she was right. in the back seat with her brother holding his hand right. and repressed the memory of his death
0: but Ungi knew all about the brother and he just like kept the
2: secret yeah. for like
0: his entire life the which whole is, family
2: just decided that's a oh, painful that. memory for Duck Me, yeah. so we just won't mention brother
0: insane and i hated that there was zero foreshadowing that was like my biggest thing i hated it felt like they didn't know what to do and they needed some sort of like big revelation and they just like threw it in at the end and and they wanted To find some random reason that they were, that they met as kids because that's, you know, a K drama trope. And I just can't, uh, I was just so heated and I'm still a little heated about it. I'm really sorry, but it was, it didn't work for me. Like, I love a good, like, bananas plot, but this just made me angry.
1: So, I mean, I don't want to mansplain, but just in case there's anybody out there who doesn't know the definition of deus ex machina, it is what Megan just said. It is a random plot device thrown in at the end to sort of explain the unexplained. And so not only, you know, Ryan Gold's mom being in a coma and Duckme's mom never taking him to the police station, but throwing in the dead brother that Duck Me has banished from her memory is 100% deus ex machina. And it almost ruined the drama for me, but I had already bought into the romance so much that It didn't make me hate it. But so our favorite Ajuma, Kim Mi Kyung, is Duck Mi's mom. And she finds Ryan Gold at a park, keeps him for a month, and then dumps him in an orphanage rather than the police station where he could say, Hi, I'm so-and-so. Do you know where my mom is? I was going to be okay with that. But like Megan said, but to find out that the reason why she dumped him is because her son had just died in a car crash and she was too depressed to take care of Ryan anymore was too much. I, I can't. Like I can't get past her dumping him there in the middle of the night and not even knowing if anybody was going to come for him. The middle so, of the night. It's dark outside. In the middle of the night. I mentioned earlier that thank the stars this happened at the end or I would have quit the drama. So yeah, I loved the romance, but I hated the past trauma Wackadoo subplot. Like I could have done 100% without it.
2: Okay. So I know that I am often one to give a wag of the finger over stupid plot stuff. But this one just didn't really bother me that much.
0: So because you. I know
2: I'm like normally like very nitpicky over the WTF. And in this case, like I was just bouncing along through the end like, OK, so, you know, I loved all the soap bubble paintings and I think I was just very caught up in the soap bubble painting <laughs> situation. And so spoilers that the mom after like her body like manufactures enough blood that she'd lost in her head wound to like bring her back to life. Her kid's freaking gone and she has no idea whatever happened to him and blames herself and then apparently like moves on enough to like have another child who becomes the idol that um, Diakmi is obsessed with. But she's been painting She painted in secret this whole series of soap bubble paintings and you only find them like one at a time and there's very little context to them. And Ryan Gold, when he first saw one, was so moved by it that that's what gave him painter's block. So there's been like the subplot the whole show about them trying to get these soap bubble paintings all assembled together. And so at the end, you see that the whole thing ends up being this memory the mom had had and there's a painting of a little boy blowing a bubble and then the rest of the paintings are all the bubbles like going away with different memories of like their time together and Ryan Gold gets to have this moment of like I was loved and cherished the whole time like it wasn't my mom who dropped me off at the orphanage in the middle of the night it's just like my mother-in-law apparently so like look do I think anyone's wrong who wants to quibble over like the badly handled dead little brother no And the fact that her mom gave him away like a puppy who peed on the carpet. No. But like at that point, honestly, I was just charmed and it was the end. And I was kind of like, whatever, it's weird. But like, you know, it's kind of like dinged it for me, but I didn't like wreck it for me. I was like, whatevs.
0: <laughs> Wait, I feel like there was a drama where uh, that's how I felt. What was that? Where I was like, uh I was so into the romance by the end, I didn't care. It didn't make sense. Oh, and now yeah. I can't remember. Well, Tale of the, the Night, the entire Tale of the Nine Oh Tailed. Tailed. <laughs> yeah,
2: Tale of the Nine Tailed.
0: See, this is how I was with Tale of Nine Tailed. I was like, nothing makes sense, but I'm all in on the romance. So, I was going to say, Tale of the Nine Tailed dropped every subplot
1: it did. that was there.
2: It did. Whereas this didn't drop a subplot; it just added a gigantic plot at the very at end. The end. Yeah. <laughs> So, we're going to close this out with one last segment that I wanted to call It's Not Incest If You're Not Related. The Case for (laughs) Ungi and Why We Need More Sad Showers. So, (laughs) my question is Ungi, hell yes, or bra, that's your sister. Uh,
0: (laughs) This is my favorite segment. like go for it unki like it's like hell yes follow your heart put on that suit confess your love please take more sad slow-mo showers like i really i really do want to talk about that like why did they give the second male lead this like thirst trap shower like i that blew. like we didn't get that with kim J. wook and he was the male lead so why are they giving us this like naked thirst trap slow-mo like like i mean they zoomed in on his muscled pecs and like water dripping from it because i think the director was like look we have the
2: heart
1: wants what the heart wants we have
2: this
0: gift we have this gift like look at this guy like like you know what i mean like look at this dude and (laughs) since the writers didn't hook him up with someone we're just gonna we're just gonna get him naked and dripping wet and i mean i'm not i'm not complaining i just I'd really love to talk to the person who's like, we're just going to
1: thirst trap the second male lead for you guys. Just all out. So even though I shipped the main leads, I'm still like, hell yes. Like, go for it, Ungi. Like, she's not really your sister. It's not really incest. Let me watch you shower some more. Let me watch you teach those little babies how to do judo because you are Adorable. Adorable. With our, our little Blackie who shows up in every K-drama. Yeah, I mean, I look, if she would have had a change of heart, I would not have been overly depressed to find out if she had a change of heart and went for Oongi instead. But I did love Ryan Gold, and so I'm okay with how it ended up, but not at all squicked out by Ungi's love for Duck Me. Okay, so this was actually
2: just incest light. <laughs> so they're not blood-related, but this was your sister my dude like they, <laughs> they were was. born in the hospital at the same time and then the mom like his mom was like look i'm just not equipped to handle this child and the mom the aduma was just like well this was before she'd taken another kid in and dropped him off in the middle of night was apparently like look i'll just take more kids into my life so she took ungi in at birth so from birth i just want to go back to that from birth they were raised together and so Look, I also grew up on V.C. Anders' stories. So I like things like tragic incest love affairs between a, say, niece and her half-uncle that's set in a gothic maze with a little cottage in the center of it where the incestuous half-uncle makes toys. That was a plot in one of the books. I'm into it. You know, give me a brother and sister trapped in an attic as they hit puberty. And like 13-year-old Leah was like turning those pages in flower or what was it called?
1: Not Flowers Flowers in the Attic. No, that one was Flowers in the Attic. Yeah. Yeah. I I read that one.
2: Yeah. There was Heaven. There's a whole slew of just like very, and all of E.C. Andrew's books, they're just incest or incest light. (laughs) And so, you know, who am I to judge? (laughs) Okay.
0: So, incest aside, how did you feel about Ungi's story arc? So, I don't know. I didn't really feel like he had a story arc other than like his unrequited romance with Duck Me. I was just, like, overall bummed with it. Like, I would have liked to see him, I don't know, like, at the end, I felt like they just kind of threw in, like, oh, he's going to start a YouTube channel, but, like, that still didn't feel like something he necessarily wanted to do, and I don't know, I could have used, like, even, like, a better professional arc for him, so I don't, I, I don't know. In my head, though, he's got a great HEA, and he's, he's getting it, and he's not taking lonely
1: showers anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of piggybacking on what you're saying, Megan, like, sure, give us the second melee thirst traps, but then give the poor thirst traps a happy ending. We do get to see some good hints that he and Cindy will have a sweet future, but show us more of this developing. Like, this was kind of tacked on at the end, too, you know, kind of like the dead brother and the dropping at the orphanage. And also, like, they threw in Hong So Young's character as a red herring. This is somebody else in the drama that Ungi seems to almost be developing an attraction with. But then she's like, no, I'm going back to New York. So that wasn't even anything. So then give us, you know, they give us a tiny little Cindy scene at the end that's like, okay, so he's probably going to have an H.E.A. But I wanted him to get the romance that he was due. And so I wanted more of him and Cindy. And I wish that we would have seen that developing longer rather than throwing in that, you know, random red herring and have it not end up being anything.
2: What I kind of really wish happened was like we kept the random red herring, but then we learned that Ungi just has a dirty birdie thing for any girl that gets sucked up into his family because Cindy basically gets adopted. She and does moves into the house, and that's when apparently it's oh, all Ungi. Yeah, anyway. So <laughs> I, mean, I would like to just unpack that like it's not hot unless you're sleeping in my little bedroom. <laughs> as my pseudo <pseudo-sister, laughs> as my pseudo sister that's what does it for ungi and his pectoral muscles so yeah look this was just a hundred percent sml thirst trapping the entire time so sml second male lead i loved every sad beaded drop of water on his sad pecs i agree he didn't have a very satisfying arc but you know i think he's the perfect example of why some dramas need a spinoff nay demand it <laughs> <laughs> so like in a romance novel, Ungi would be like our second book in the series. And that's where sometimes I feel like that's something that K-drama could learn from like romance writing is like sometimes spin those second male leads off like you've got us in there, like spin it off and give us give us his situation.
1: That's a great idea. I would totally be down for that. Yeah, me too. Come on. Oh, Unki, I miss him. So let's wrap things up by being fangirls ourselves and let's fangirl over a romance novel. What is a book you need everyone to read?
0: Since I talked about Chris and Ashley, I'm going to, I, I know I've recommended a book on this pod before, but I'm sorry. I like what I like. Okay. My favorite book of hers is called Sweet Dreams and the hero starts off as like a total jerk, but he really has to and he has a hard time saying he's sorry like that's like part of his like character arc is he really has to like come to terms with like the fact that he can be a total dickbag and he has to learn how to apologize and there's just so much going on like all her books there's always like suspense element which i love cuz like <laughs> Her books would probably make really good K-dramas if they weren't so incredibly American, cowboys and bikers and stuff. Yeah, it's just, I've come back to it over and over again. I've reread it probably four times. So it's just one of my favorites. It's Sweet Dreams by Chris and Ashley. So the book that I think that honestly,
2: any romance fan, and this even includes Megan, who doesn't love historicals, should read is Flowers from the Storm by Laura Kinsell. I feel like it's that big of like a pivotal poignant classic and so basically in a nutshell we have we have a duke obviously but he is like this amazingly brilliant mathematician and like obviously like gets it with lots of ladies but then he has a stroke and the stroke leaves him permanently unable to speak and his family because it's like ye oldie world thinks that like well he must have gone mad and they send him off to like an asylum So enter the heroine, Maddie, who's this like righteous Quaker who speaks like with the V and thous of like the Quaker. I don't know. That's just how they speak. So she's a do-gooder. She recognizes that Christian's not insane. He just can't talk. This actually sounds like a K-drama kind of. And so she has like all this depth and all this patience. And she's like not a totally likable heroine either. But like, She's able to figure out a way to, like, work with his, like, intense anger and frustration in this, like, kind of gothic manner type vibe. So it's really fun and cool, and I love it so much. And that is Flowers from the Storm by Laura Kinsell.
0: I actually have a big hardback cover of this book that I still never read, but I got it at a used bookstore. It's, like, beautiful. It even has, like, the, still has the dust cover on it and everything. I mean, I definitely recommend it. There's no palace
2: intrigue. It's all just kind of like <laughs> an angsty dude trapped in his body, like unable to verbalize, like recovering from a stroke. And right. like, I don't know. It sounds very
1: interesting. And hot yeah, is does.
2: shit. <laughs> so. Yeah.
1: so I'm going to recommend a book called Words in Deep Blue by Kath Crowley. And this is another young adult novel because I read many of those. And it's also one that it's been a couple years since I read and that I can't do justice from the blurb. And so I'm just going to read the blurb to you. It is not only a lovely love story, but it's also a love letter to the power of books, which I think that's what brought us here is our love of words and our love of romance and how the writing of these dramas is really what hooked us. So here's Words in Deep Blue. Years ago, Rachel had a crush on Henry Jones. The day before she moved away, she tucked a love letter into his favorite book in his family's bookshop. She waited, but Henry never came. Now Rachel has returned to the city and to the bookshop to work alongside the boy she'd rather not see, if at all possible, for the rest of her life. But Rachel needs the distraction. Her brother drowned months ago, and she can't feel anything anymore. By the way, it's not a deus ex machina that the brother drowned. Like You know this from the beginning. <laughs> As Henry and Rachel work side by side, surrounded by books, watching love stories unfold, exchanging letters between the pages, they find hope in each other because life may be uncontrollable, even unbearable sometimes, but it's possible that words and love and second chances are enough. And throughout the whole, like a big part of this bookshop is that people leave each other notes in the books in the bookshop. And it's Mm. just super sweet and super romantic. And I mean, there's some heavy emotional stuff in it too, but it just... I love Kath Carly's books, and I highly, highly recommend Words in Deep Blue. So, yeah. what are we watching? Well, So, I think I already brought this up yeah. in the beginning.
2: <laughs> I'm currently getting fucked up by I'm Not a Robot, and then got to get into Run On for an upcoming deep dive. But right now, I just got to get through this madness. And then I'm also going to watch Midnight Runners, a movie, because I'm also not over Kong Ha Newell, and that's my current, like, you know... I'm not sending him a birthday present, but <laughs> I'm going to watch his next movie or like, you know, one of his old movies.
1: And I'm on episode eight of I'm Not a Robot, and I absolutely love it. But I am way, way behind what everybody else is talking about on this drama so far. But I cannot wait until we deep dive it and can all fangirl over it. Yeah, Leah and
0: I have been DMing about I'm Not a Robot, so we don't spoil it for Amy. And she's having a lot of the same feelings that I had, which makes me so happy. Because when I was watching it, I was just like, am I crazy? Because this is working so well and it's just it blows my mind. So, I'm actually rewatching that right now because I am on like a tight deadline this week, so I didn't want to start a new drama because I've no self-control <laughs> and I wouldn't get my book written, but I plan to start King next, the King Eternal Monarch, so for a deep dive. But yeah, right now I'm just rewatching I'm Not a Robot scenes. I mean, I even cried again last night. I don't think I'll ever be over this drama. So, that's what's going on, but I'm very excited to start
1: The king. And we have a fun episode planned for next week. Okay. So next week, we're going to be doing an episode that we're calling Second Male Lead SOS, where we are going to pick our favorite second male leads who we think should have gotten a happily ever after. And we're going to tell you what happily ever after they should have gotten.
0: Yeah. Like we're basically going to write what happily ever after we want to give them. And I just need to tell you right now, my choice is Ungi. No, I'm already- shocked. I'm shocked.
1: <laughs>
0: and my- <laughs> and uh, I already have like uh, an outline of what kind of HEA I'm going to give him. It's not with Cindy. Okay. Because I didn't buy that for one minute. So is it I'm giving heiress
2: to a shower company?
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I'm very excited about it. So like, I, re- I really can't wait for this because I want to hear what you guys have to say about your choices. Should we share um, our choices? Because
1: yeah, I as, know who mine are. Yeah, I know who mine is too. So Okay, take it yeah. away, Amy. My choice is going to be Park He-jin's character from My Love from the Star. I just freaking adore him and his sweet, sweet love for the heroine, even when he knew that there was no way she was ever going to love him and how he just hung in there anyway and was like, if all I can have you for is my best friend, then then that's fine. And just loved her to the end and never got his own happily ever after so i'm going to give him one because he so so deserves it
2: and i am going back to she was pretty and the second male lead who broke my heart kim shin hyuk who loved the heroine as she was in like actuality now in the present and got rejected because we all love our first love forever apparently so I guess I should really be finding the guy who used to put boogers on his wall <laughs> when we were five <laughs> and I missed that soulmate connection and I'm still bad that they didn't give her. <sighs> yeah. So anyway, I will be doing that. I'm excited.
1: So thanks for listening everyone. And we will see you next time. Annyeong! Annyeong! Annyeong. Thank you for listening to Afternoon Delight. Make sure to subscribe for more great K-Romance conversation. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Afternoon Delight Podcast for more information on our podcast, behind the scenes photos, and of course, pics of our favorite opas and anis. Annyeong!